0: good morning how is everyone good you sound kind of like mellow like i'm good pastor brian hope you're doing well hope you've had a good week it is uh fourth of july week so tomorrow should be a good day lots of uh fireworks and celebration homemade ice cream and mosquitoes lots of mosquitoes Always on the Fourth of July, we're going to be in Galatians chapter uh, one ten through two twenty one today. It's a big section of scripture. We'll really focus on uh, chapter two verses fifteen to twenty one, but we'll sort of look at a broad swath of scripture this morning. The title of the message really goes along with uh, what 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 is here in the scripture, and that is simply it is the the test, testimony of. Of the Apostle Paul, and so we're going to talk a little bit about who he is and and uh, how God used him. But then uh, he gives us some words today about how to live. And so I'd love for you to stand with me. We'll read together Galatians two fifteen to twenty one. And if you're our guest, we say this phrase: the very words at the end of the main text reading, uh, just to distinguish God's word um, from my own. So Galatians chapter two fifteen to twenty one. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You could be seated. Now I'm going to get you to back up to Galatians chapter 1 beginning in verse 10 and we'll sort of work our way forward to the passage that we just uh, read today so in verse 10 Paul gives us sort of a a beginning verse of his testimony that really tells us where he's at in the moment and it says for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am, am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be A servant of Christ. And so Paul is stating in this letter to the churches of Galatia, not only a a message of gospel based on Jesus, faith in Jesus by grace, not works, but now he's saying, I'm not trying to please any man. I'm trying to tell you what is the gospel truth given by God, And so he begins to share his testimony with us. And I'm going to break down into uh, this into two sections, chapter, verses 11 to 14, and then verses 15, 2 to 14. So I want to talk about Paul's life before Christ, just a minute, as he states it. I'm not going to read all of these scriptures, but I'll give you a, I'll give you a summary. Um, not, not many people know a lot about Paul, ironically, because Paul wrote, generally most of the new testament not the gospels john wrote pieces of it peter wrote pieces of it but i mean vast majority of these letters are written by the apostle paul and so the question is who is he and why should we uh, listen to him historically saul uh, it's a jewish name was born in tarsus Tarsus is a Roman city in biblical Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Uh, Tarsus was a thriving metropolis. It was a place of education, of art. Um, it, it, it was uh, eclectic in so many different ways. Saul had two names he had a Jewish name and he had a Roman name. He was Saul. And he was Paulus, or where we get the, the Roman name that we use, uh, Paul. Some people uh, mistakenly say that his name was changed when he, when he received Jesus. It's not true. His name was Paulus as a Roman citizen. His name was Saul as a Jew in, the, in, the, in a Jewish family in the context of Tarsus. He came from a strong Jewish family. So if you can imagine in the midst of the Roman empire in the midst of Tarsus, Paul was in a strong Jewish family that was zealous. So they would have practiced Shabbat. They would have dressed differently than the Romans around them dressed. They would have eaten kosher and, and been separate in some ways, even as Roman citizens, they were very, very uh, Jewish. And, He was zealous from a young age. And all of that came to him by his training in his his family, Uh, his time around the family table, his time in scriptures with family. And interestingly enough, the scripture says that he did, there was a great opportunity for him to study in Tarsus. But he left Tarsus and went to study in Jerusalem under a rabbi named Gamaliel, which is mentioned, who is mentioned In the Scripture, Gamaliel is a is a really a force of Rabbinic Judaism in that time frame. Probably in that moment, the best uh, rabbi to study under, in many people's opinion. And so Paul went there and he studied, studied under Gamaliel. And this was, this was, uh, this was like going to Harvard in our vernacular. You know, this is, this for Paul was a really, really big deal. And because of that, out of that, all that study and tradition and religion and his obedience, he became a very strong Jew he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, the scripture Paul says of himself that he was full of zeal out of very young age we see um we see of paul that he was trusted to go to damascus from jerusalem and round up followers of the way that's followers of jesus and bring them back to jerusalem uh for for trial for persecution so he was persecuting christian people followers of jesus He was very, very zealous for the law and his view in his life before Christ was that that people who were following Jesus and saying that he was the Messiah, they were a part of a cult that needed to be extinguished. That was Paul's view. And he was doing it in the name of God. It was his heartbeat. That was his view and he, and he had authority, he had influence, he had power, all of those kinds of things because of where he came from, his zeal, who he was. But in Acts chapter 9, he has this experience on the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus, he hears a voice and sees a light that blinds him and he meets Jesus face to face and it changes everything for him. Uh, In fact, so much so that once he was persecuting people who were followers of Jesus, now he becomes uh, what will be uh, uh, in that time frame and for generations to come, one of the most prominent Christ followers of all time. Everything changes for him in Acts chapter 9. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, 15, 2 to 14, we sort of see him then describe what his life was like Immediately after he came to Christ. So he says in these, past, these verses of scripture that he was set apart he had a, he has a sense that god uniquely set him apart for this mission that he's on now with christ and it's really true if you think about it he's a jew of jews a pharisee of pharisees studied under the greatest of rabbis and yet he's a roman citizen and understands all of the roman mythology the politic the culture the way he's the perfect person to take the gospel of a risen Jewish rabbi to a Roman Gentile people. And that was his call. So he was set apart. He says he was called by grace. He was on his way to Damascus to round up Christians for persecution. And he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he says, this is simply an act of grace. This was by God's initiation. I didn't have anything to do with it. It was just the grace of God. He says that God was pleased to reveal his son to him. And the big question is why? And he understood his why. Does everybody in the room kind of understand their why? Why you exist why you're, you're doing what you're doing, why you are who you are. Paul really understood his why, and it was that I might preach Jesus to the Gentiles. That was the simplicity of it. That Peter was going to be called to what he said was the circumcision or the Jewish people to preach the gospel. Paul was entrusted to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised or to the Gentile nations. This was his clarified call. Also in this section, he mentions a conflict he had with Peter. So you need to understand the conflict to understand the back half of the the passage of scripture peter was also jewish and peter grew up eating kosher wearing tassels all those kinds of things and you you remember peter is the one that denied christ and then uh, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he preaches the gospel in Jerusalem, and three thousand men come to Christ, and the gospel begins to go from J- Jerusalem to J- Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the, the earth. Well, Peter has a dream in a place called Joppa, and in that dream, he dreams that basically he can eat whatever he wants; that anything God made is clean, which he interprets to mean the gospel is for everyone. And so he begins to eat with Gentiles, which would be a very unclean thing to do. If you go to Jacques, certain times of the year, they're going to eat crawfish, right? That stuff, who likes crawfish, right? It's very unclean (laughs) for the Jewish eater, right? It just doesn't work. Uh, But Peter would now, after that dream, he would go to a crawfish boil with Jacques and sit down and eat because they were brothers in Christ. Okay. So he, he changed, and he used to eat with the Gentiles, but Paul has a conflict with him because sometime along the way, the party of the circumcision, this is a political religious group that says, you can't go to Josh's, Jacques' house and eat crawfish. That is unclean. You're not free to do that in Christ. And so Peter pulled back and said, I'm not going to Jacques' anymore. And Paul's like, what are you doing? That's the conflict. Paul's like, you have to go to Jacques. We have to sit at their table. They need to hear the gospel. What are you doing? It's already been revealed to you that you're not bound by this law anymore. See? And so they have this this pretty major conflict. and, 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 And to sum it up, Paul says, I just told Peter the gospel truth. Paul is very intellectual. He's very zealous. And he will tell you what he thinks. It's very clear. Uh, And that's what he did with uh, Peter. Now, some people say, just to wrap up this section on his testimony, some people say that the conversion of Paul is the greatest Christian apologetic ever. Some people say that. Why? Because you had a guy that was so Jewish, so zealous So about extinguishing followers of the way that when he met Jesus, he changed radically. And that radical transformation in his life is uh, reason enough to understand Jesus as the risen Messiah. Some people say pretty influential is the Apostle Paul. Now, he gives us. In what I'm going to call the third section of this sermon, but in the in the major passages that we read in chapter 2, verse 15 to 21. He gives us uh, a way to live in light of the gospel of Jesus. So after giving his testimony and after telling us about this conflict with Peter, he gives us. The answer to the question, how should we live in light of the gospel of Jesus? This is written to the churches at Galatia, but it so applies to us today. And I want to just walk through this section slowly, chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The first thing that Paul tells the reader here is that we need to live justified by faith in christ and not by works if you were here last week this is going to sound like a recap and it is it's exactly what paul is doing here verse 15 he says we ourselves are jews by birth and not gentile sinners we're people of the law in other words yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but Through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So, how do you live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, justified by faith in Christ and not by works? Primarily, you have to understand what he means by the word justified in order to get this section. J.I. Packard defines justification this way or to, to justify this way. I think it's a great definition. It says to justify in the Bible means to declare of a man or a woman on trial that he or she is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. So justification is a legal term, and the courtroom is the illustration. And the idea is that God is the judge, and that to everyone who has been saved by grace, through faith... In Christ, he has judged them and set them free, justifying them, making them right before the, before the judge, before the court. And he's done this by the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross. There's nothing that you can do to get it. There's no works of the law. If you kept all 613, well, who's done that? 613 mitzvot 613 commands all of your life no one has done that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of god and so paul is just saying here look this is the way that you live in light of the gospel of jesus christ justified by faith in christ not by works all that means is this i'm not working my way to heaven I'm not behaving my way to heaven. There's nothing I can do to save myself from my own sins. Jesus has done it for me. Jesus either does everything for you or nothing for you. He has done it all by his work on the cross and his resurrection. I'm justified before God, which brings me feelings like this. Joy. Imagine you did nothing to get it it's by grace. And yet you've been justified by, by God through his son, Jesus. And you stand in life and death and in eternity, righteous before God, because of what Jesus did. It brings you uh, joy. It brings you freedom. You're not bound by the cage of the law. You can go eat crawfish at Jacques house. You're not bound by the cage of the law. In fact, you've been set free from trying to strive your way to salvation, from trying to strive your way to heaven. You have been justified by faith. It also tells me that I'm loved because it's a good father that says, look, I know that you didn't do what I said to do, but I'm going to make you right anyway. I'm going to justify you anyway. I'm going to take away all the penalty of your sin. I'm going to take away everything you deserve. And by grace, I'm going to save you. If you will just place your faith in Jesus. So we live, how do we live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We live justified by faith in Christ and not by works. Verse 17 and 18 teaches us the second way that we live. We never rebuild law ways of salvation. So go back to uh, verse 17 and 18 of chapter 2. It says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Verse 17 and 18 alludes to the conflict that Paul had with Peter. In other words, if you're trying to rebuild, all of a sudden you can't go eat crawfish at Jacques' house because he's a Gentile sinner eating unclean food. If you're trying to rebuild after you've come to Christ, rebuild law works of law in order to be right with God, you're doing it wrong. You are saved and justified by his grace, and you are set free from the works of God of law for your salvation now this situation that paul encountered with peter really bothered him so much so that they went uh separate ways over it It was not as funny as eating crawfish at jock's house it was a really big deal because it spoke to what is the true gospel Is it following 613 commands, or at least some of those 613 commands, and if you do this, that, and the other, then you'll be saved? Or is it we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ? It can't be both. And so we live never, ever rebuilding law ways of salvation. Now, you might say to yourself, like, I don't do that with dietary laws or whatever people rebuild law cages all the time they make deals with god and say things to themselves like okay i'm gonna do this that and the other and when i do this for you then i'll be right with you and they they do this thing in their head that is just law-based when in actuality you're free because god so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It was by grace. He's that good. We have a hard time believing we have a father that is that good. You don't rebuild law ways for your salvation after you come to Christ. There's no need and no way. It nullifies the grace of God. Here's the third thing that we find in verses 19 to 21. How do you live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we said, be justified by faith in Christ, not by works, and live in the freedom and joy of that. Never rebuild law ways of salvation. Don't manufacture cages for yourself in order to somehow earn a right with God. And third, we need to live our lives in line with the truth of the gospel. We need to live our lives in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, we have to practice what we preach. Live our lives in line with the truth of the gospel. So, here's what Paul says in verse 19, 20, and 21. It says, "For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God." The first thing that we do to live our lives in line with the truth of the gospel is we die to the law. And you might be thinking to yourself, "So does that mean I don't have to obey?" No it means that we don't obey to gain a rightness with god we don't obey to gain salvation with god but it doesn't mean we cease to obey god we put our faith in christ and we trust his grace for salvation but we obey god for our good and his glory do you know there's some things Uh, if you came to my office and you said, hey, I I, I like to do X, Y, or Z, and it's outside the context of this scripture. I like to do X, Y, or Z, and I know that it's sin because I've read the scripture and it says that it's sin and it's really obvious that it's sin, but you're just like, I like to do X, Y, or Z, and I'm gonna keep doing X, Y, or Z because by grace I've been saved through faith. You know what I'd say to you? Like, as an American citizen, You're free to do X, Y, or Z, but it's not right. It's sin. It's disobedience. Well, don't tell me what I can do and what I can't do. I'm saved uh, by grace through faith. And I'm like, okay, I hear what you're saying. But we obey not to be saved. We obey to glorify God. God. And for your good, X, Y, and Z is no good for you. X, Y, and Z doesn't bring glory to God. And so people want to people say, okay, because I'm saved by grace through faith, then I have this license to sin. I don't have to obey. Wrong. It's a relationship. Your obedience is not going to save you, but you obey because you're saved. <laughs> You obey because you're justified. You fight sin because you want to bring glory to God and you want to live in the best way possible, the way that he designed you to live. And so we die to the law. You don't see me wearing tassels. I eat pepperoni pizza, all kinds of stuff. I married a Phoenician woman, Uh, all kinds of stuff. You don't see, I, I died to the law. But as a disciple of Jesus, I hear and obey. Why? So that I can walk the way that he walks, so that I can bring glory to God, and so that I can live the best life that he designed me to live. All of this is for our good and for his glory. Salvation by grace, obedience is for your good and his glory. But we die to the law. Verse 20 and 21, it says this. Again, and when we talk about living in line with the truth of the gospel, then not only do we die to the law, but we live in our new identity. So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is a favorite like greeting card verse for Christians or letter jacket, you know, it's a stitch on the back verse. I've been crucified with Christ. This is an identity verse. It's much deeper than just a a favorite. It's an identity verse that teaches us who we are. I have been crucified with Christ means that I identify with him and his death. His death is my death. His life is my life, according to the scripture. I walk in his ways. I belong to him, and he actually belongs to me. I've been crucified with Christ. Tim Keller paraphrases this section of scripture like this, and I think it's so good. He says, now that Christ's life is my life. Christ's past is my past I'm in Christ which means I am as free from condemnation before God as if I had already died and been judged as if I had paid the debt myself and I am as loved by God as if I had lived the life Christ lives so it's not me that lives but Christ is triumphant though we ourselves are sinners in christ we are righteous now when i live my life and make my choices and do my work i do so remembering who i am by faith in christ who loves me so much in other words since i've been crucified with christ You know, we say these things when we baptize people. You've been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in new life. It's his new life you've been raised to walk in. So since I've been crucified with Christ and his past is my past, can you you imagine that? He never sinned. He never sinned. So by grace... You've been justified by faith in Christ who never sinned. You've been crucified with him. You died like him. You died with him. You've been raised to walk in new life. His past is your past. How many of you are haunted by your past? Understand theologically, doctrinally, his past is your past. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's him who lives in you. And that is great news. You can let go of the past and you can walk in his past. His past is your past. His present, the way that he's working in you now as you go to work and go to school and all that stuff. You are in him. The choices that you make, you get to make freely in him by the guidance of his spirit, knowing that you've been made righteous. How many of you are so fearful and so stuck thinking I might make the wrong decision? I might do the wrong thing. Understand this. You've been crucified with Christ. His present is your present and he's seated at the right hand of the father. He has all authority. He said to you, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter what domain you work in, what, what job you have, what school you go to, his present is your present. All authority has been given to him. And you walk in that. His future is your future. I've been crucified with Christ. It's like I never sinned to begin with. He took it all for me. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back again in victory. And his future is your future because you've been crucified with Christ. And it's only when I see myself like this, completely loved and holy in Christ, will I have the power to repent with joy, conquer my fears, and obey the one who did all of this for me. (laughs) We have the greatest life free from sin and death because we've already died. We've been crucified with Christ. The third kind of piece of that, live our life in line with the truth of the gospel. In, in verse 21, it says, uh, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ, Christ died for no purpose. Purpose. Paul is just simply saying to us at this point, if you're going to live in line with the truth of the gospel, you die to the law, live in your new identity, do not nullify the grace of God. Do not try to take something away from the grace of God by behaving your way to heaven, by striving for salvation, for putting that somebody on somebody else to strive for salvation. You hear him and obey him because you love him. You hear him and obey him because it's for your good and for his glory, but you do not nullify the grace of God because what he did on the cross is enough. And it's changed everything for every follower of Jesus. How do you live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Justified by faith in Christ, not by works. You never rebuild law ways of salvation. And you live your life in line with the truth of the gospel. We started the sermon with Paul's story. He told us how he changed when he met Christ. He told us what he did uh, as a follower of Jesus in the earliest earliest days. And he told us how to live in light of uh, being a follower of Jesus. My question is, and I think the one that you have to wrestle with is what is your story? What is your story? Everybody has a story. The question is, what is your story? Paul's is clear. And I want you to think about it. Who are you and what are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? Who are you? I hope, I pray that you're one who would say, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I hope that you're feeling the freedom of walking justified by the grace of Jesus. I hope that you're not rebuilding sort of systems of law to stay in good graces with God, but you understand that you have a good father who loves you. Gave his son for you. I hope that you 're living your life in line with the truth of the gospel. How did you meet Jesus? How did everything change? How are you today? How are you living now? That 's your story. What is your story? You know, Paul's is clear. Every once in a while, I get a, a Twitter troll. Anybody ever had a Twitter troll? I get a Twitter troll every once in a while. And I got one this week. Accused me of a bunch of dumb stuff that's not true. And I just tweeted back, hey, right before I blocked him or her, I I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? (laughs) And I think it's actually a decent question for all of us. I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? Who are you? Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you? Father, I pray right now for everyone who has heard this section of your word preached. I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them to the response you want them to have. Do the things in their hearts and their lives that I could never manufacture with any of my words, but only your spirit can do based on the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would save some who didn't know the grace of Jesus was as good as it is. I pray that you would break people who have been saved but put them their, themselves back in cages of works. I pray that you would break those shackles today. I pray for people that have banked on your grace being so good and just send like they want to abusing that grace. God, I pray that you would draw them to repentance. Father, I pray that you would show us who we are in you. Call us as clearly as you called Paul. Show us the things that you have in store for us, the the good works that you created us for. Help us to live in obedience to you for your glory, and for the good of the people around us and, and, our, and the good of ourselves. Father, thank you for this beautiful body of Christ called Bay Area Church. I pray your blessing over them. Would you bless them and keep them and make your face shine on them and be good to them. And be their peace giver this day and forevermore. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.